I'm Andy Otto, it's the 25th of August, and this is Thought Press. Rural towns have it difficult. The internet, however, saves the day, as online learning gives students and teachers more opportunities. The technology is increasingly becoming a transparent medium, so that although we're an online school, what's really great about it is no longer the onlineness. It's the individualization. We head to a small town to see how technology helps them. Iraq has just drafted a new constitution based on Islamic laws. What does it say and how are people reacting? We'll find out. President Bush continues his effort to boost support for the war. Also, Britain has implemented new security measures against Muslims. Does it violate freedom of speech? You'll want to hear about the debate. And with the war, do you think the U.S. military is stretched to its limits? It might be difficult for the U.S. if there's another threat. All this and more on this Thought Press. I'm Andy Otto. Welcome to this Thought Press where it's news plus more, and where we provide you with stories and sounds of the world, making you think and find things we never knew you cared about. We bring things all together. Thanks for listening. If you love Thought Press, spread the word and give us your feedback. You can let us know what you think anytime by emailing us at thoughtpress at gmail.com. You can also call our listener line at 206-33-THINK. Iraqi President Jalal Talabani has urged Sunni, Shiite, and Kurdish leaders to reach a consensus on the new Iraqi constitution a day ahead of a parliament vote on the charter. And it's been done. Mr. Talabani said the constitution must be for all Iraqis and respect the demands of Sunni Arabs. The constitution is based on Islam, and it is the source of all basic legislation. The new draft says, quote, No law can be passed that contradicts the undisputed rules of Islam. Unquote. Is this the best idea for the Iraqi people? Email us and let us know what you think. Shelley of the Citizen Against Lies podcast has this to say about women living in Iraq under the laws of Islam. That means women are out of luck. You know how George Bush is always bragging about how under him women have equal rights under the law as opposed to under Saddam where they had a secular society, meaning not religious. Now they have to wear the burqas, they have to uh, adhere to Islamic law, which basically states that women are lesser than men and have to submit to men. And <laughs> it's like going back to the seventh to the eighth century for women in Iraq. Congratulations, George Bush. Congratulations. If you would like to read the full text of the new constitution, or if you would like to read the latest, head to our website and click the link under this podcast posting. Our site is thoughtpress.blogspot.com. Meanwhile, President Bush continues his tour to encourage support for the war. He was in Idaho, and members of the National Guard attended a speech where he said the way to honor American troops killed in Iraq is to complete their mission and bring freedom to the region. He said, quote, So long as I am the president, we will stay, we will fight, and we will win the war on terror. Unquote. And in the wake of the London terror attacks in July, Britain has announced new measures against Islamic extremists. The Home Office published a list of unacceptable behaviors in the support of terrorism that could lead to the deportation of foreign-born Muslim clerics. What does this mean? 
Well, anyone who isn't British but instigates, even justifies terrorism in writing or speaking, can be banished from the country. The UK has barred a Syrian-born Muslim cleric from re-entering the country because he said he would not inform the police if he learned of a Muslim bombing plot. That man, Omar uh, Bakri Mohammed, is a longtime resident of London. Home Secretary Charles Clark. I have an obligation in particular to stop people coming into this country who could get young people in particular to behave in the kind of appalling way we saw in July. We want to ensure that those who ferment, justify, glorify terrorism are not able to be in this country. But what about the other side? Is this a blockade to free speech? Most political leaders think positive of these new actions, but human rights activists think otherwise. Eric Metcalf, director of Justice, a legal rights organization, questions the realism of these new precautions. Try and imagine how you would have a discussion about terrorism with one side on the pro and one side on the con, and one side trying to offer explanations for terrorism. What can seem like explanation from one person can very easily sound like justification to someone else. And how do Muslims react? Here's Asghar Bukhari, the director of the Muslim Public Affairs Committee. How on earth do you expect any Muslim to say that those who are being oppressed have no right to resist? And what does he consider as terrorism? Is the Israeli state terrorizing the Palestinians or the Palestinians terrorizing only the Israelis? What we don't want is laws that are going to alienate virtually every single Muslim in this country. It's a tough world we're living in. Do you think we're giving up too many freedoms for safety or are rigid rules and laws important? Maybe you think this is a violation of free speech. Call or email us. Our email is thoughtpress at gmail.com and our number is 206-338-4465. the war has overstretched the U.S. military, many say that come another threat or attack, the manpower and resources may be difficult to obtain or fund. Steve Ember reports. In his annual report to Congress last May, General Richard Myers, chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, conceded that the situations in Iraq and Afghanistan have strained the military to a point where it runs a higher risk of not being able to quickly and easily defeat potential enemies. U.S. military casualties in Iraq and Afghanistan and recruitment shortfalls in some branches of the armed forces, such as the Army and National Guard, have alarmed some observers who warned that the military is overburdened and overstretched. Charles Pena, director of defense policy studies at the Cato Institute in Washington, says the current system used to repeatedly rotate and redeploy troops serving in Iraq over extended periods of time could negatively impact America's all-volunteer armed forces. This may be the legacy of the Iraq war, that we will have a very different army in particular than we did before we went to war in Iraq. So it's too early to say exactly what might happen, but certainly there are many troubling and worrisome signs that we may be doing real damage to the United States Army. 
Other analysts say that while the U.S. military is probably using all available manpower, it is not overstretched and continues to have some spare capacity. But policy analyst Jack Spencer of the Washington-based Heritage Foundation reminds foreign policy critics that some stress is to be expected because the United States has been at war. Certainly the U.S. military is stressed right now, but we're engaged in a global war on terrorism. Now I would suggest that we don't need a military so large that we're able to take on such a huge endeavor and one that is vital to the national interest without feeling a little bit of stress. Most analysts agree that the modernization of the United States military, which was accelerated by the Bush administration, is necessary to deal with the non-traditional type of threats America faces in a post-Cold War world. I'm Steve Ember. You've seen Disney on Ice, you may have been to Walt Disney World, but how about the park coming to you? Feld Entertainment Incorporated has produced a new Disney on Ice show that will showcase the Parr family from The Incredibles on a trip to Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, complete with attractions like the Haunted Mansion and a parade down Main Street. What do you think? I've seen Disney on Ice before, but the story was typically surrounding a Disney movie. The show premieres in Lakeland, Florida on September 2nd, and an official gala event will be held at the TD Waterhouse Center in Orlando. Then they'll, they'll tour more than 65 cities in North America for the next year before they go on to an international tour schedule. If you're a Disney fan like I am, you'll have an opinion. Call us at 206-33-THINK and tell us what you think. Will Disney pull off a storyline like this? You can also shoot us an email, thoughtpress at gmail.com. that are in the middle of rural America, education can be difficult when students and teachers live great distances from the school building, but that doesn't stop them. As Stephen Rayer found out, online learning has made a big leap into new theories of learning. Branson, Colorado sits far from any major highway amid rolling hills covered with scrub brush in the heart of ranching country. Fewer than 100 people live in the town. Main Street is unpaved, and the local school is housed in a two-story red-brick building. Uh, that building was built in 1922. Jay Ofterheide, the town's former school superintendent, says Branson was small then and has only gotten smaller over the years. And at that time, the town was like 2,000 residents, and then sometime in the, shortly after that school was built, about half the town burned down, and not too long after that, Half of the half that was remaining burned down. And so since 20s and 30s, Branson has been very small, but these folks are survivors. The small band of survivors includes 65 students in the Branson schoolhouse. Despite the small number of kids in the building, the school district has an enrollment of nearly 1,000. 
Most of them are students of Branson School Online, the district's five-year-old internet-based education program for kids from kindergarten through grade 12. Branson Online students and teachers come from all over the state, from urban and rural areas. They're attracted to the program for many reasons. Some students have medical problems. Some are teenage parents. Some are on probation. Other kids have demanding work schedules, or like Ryan Lutz, just weren't satisfied with their local public schools. I had a lot of distractions and just overcrowding. It was hard for me to work, but I work more diligently now than when I used to go to brick and mortar school. This is my screen. Their screen looks like this, slightly different access. Branson but teacher example, Elizabeth Ryan Davis also comes from a traditional brick and mortar school system, and she likes her virtual classroom better. When I taught in brick and mortar, I had 150 students over five or six class periods a day. Um, at Branson, a full load for a teacher is 24 students. I know my kids so much more and she appreciates the work schedule that allows her to stay home with her own children. Like most of her online colleagues, she lives hours away from the actual town of Branson, even if she's only a click away in cyberspace. He does an assignment, he sends it to me via email, so when you go to my email box, these are assignments that have been turned in. He attaches the assignment and he sends it to me in email. Students work their way through online course materials, which can range from strictly text-based reading assignments to computer-simulated chemistry labs. Homework assignments are emailed to teachers, who respond by emailing or calling with feedback. Branson Online's incoming director, Chris Enright, says the technology of online education is really just a springboard to a new theory of teaching. The technology is increasingly becoming a transparent medium so that although we're an online school, what's really great about it is no longer the onlineness. It's the individualization. It's the ability to diagnose exactly prescriptively what a student needs. And while Mr. Enright definitely sees the need for brick-and-mortar schools, he also makes a strong argument for change. The brick-and-mortar traditional model was based on a factory model. The kids come in, we apply a treatment, we, we give them a curriculum, and they all need to come out at the end looking somewhat similar. Whether Branson Online graduates will also look somewhat similar remains to be seen. In a recent study of so-called distance education, 72% of school districts offering Internet or video-based learning programs said they plan to expand them. As more U.S. schools dive into the world of online learning, educators will begin to form conclusions about what works and what doesn't. I'm Stephen Rare in Branson, Colorado. I'm Andy Otto, and thanks for listening to Thought Press. You can always follow up on any links or stories we mention on any of our shows at our website, thoughtpress.blogspot.com. Send us an email, support us with a podcast alley vote on our site, or if you love Thought Press, you can help with a donation through our site to help for the work that goes into each show. Don't forget, it's thoughtpress.blogspot.com. Call our listener line at 206-33-THINK if you have something to say or would like to be on the show. That's 206-338-4465. Our audio is hosted by archive.org and select contents provided by Voice of America. Check out our website and don't forget to drop us a vote, thoughtpress.blogspot.com.